Yeah. Bathrooms so. are another thing that I have a big question about with this. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen a bathroom in this movie. <laughs> just, to, just to understand what's happening. What know? are you talking about? They they stick their extremities out. You know where that guy sticks his arm out into the uh, cold? They stick their extremities out into the cold and then just, you know. You know, just cut their butts off. Yeah, exactly. Because it's frozen now. Frostbite <laughs> butt is, uh, is a, a badge of honor that everyone in the front Absolutely. section has. <laughs> It's like when they cut off their arms. Oh, a missed opportunity to say frostbite. Ah, uh, oh, frostbite. <laughs> Welcome back to the Great American Movie Review, where we review great South Korean movies. My name is Micaiah. And I'm Kyle. This is a movie of the week style podcast where we take turns picking films and we have a casual discussion about their context and quality. This week I've selected the 2013 Bong Joon-ho sci-fi thriller Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer is based on the French graphic novel Le Transpersonnage. And it is set in a dystopian world where a train is unstoppably going through the entirety of the world around in a circle once every year and there is a bit of drama between half of the train's population in the tail section and also the rest in the front section it's a classic story of the haves and the have-nots yes exactly <laughs> and i or, thank you i was gonna let you cover like anytime you want to say anything in french um you go for it Okay, cool. I'm not going to get that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I will. I will do that. Uh, The film came out to positive reviews in 2013 before releasing in the U.S. in 2014 with a budget of 39 million and taking home a total of 86 million worldwide. I do know that it only took home about like 4.5 million in the U.S. during its runtime there. So it had moderate success. It had pretty limited success with how many theaters were... uh, given the film in the U.S., but it had very successful runs in uh, Korea and China. Yeah, it tripled the money it made in the U.S. in just South Korea. Yeah. But Bong Joon-ho was an established director in South Korea at that point, whereas in the U.S., now he's very well known after Parasite, but before then, not so much. Well, this was his first film, I believe, that made it to the U.S. Yeah, this is his first English-language film, as he said, so... Yeah. Yeah. Um, Snowpiercer. So um, just some general thoughts before we go into it. Snowpiercer, for me, this is this is my least favorite Bong Joon-ho film. After watching it again, I like it a lot more than I did before. But of the films of his that I've seen, which is a good amount of them, um, this is still my least favorite of his, but it, it is still good. Like, I appreciated a lot more this time that I didn't really the first time around. But yeah, it kind of, uh, why did you pick it for this week? So I, p- I picked it because I really love this movie. Oh, I love yeah. the themes. I love the setting. I love the, I love the characters in it. And I really love the attention to detail that uh, Bong Joon-ho generally puts into his movies. And it's nice to see him like mold th- his own through the movies that he makes the first one that i saw was the host obviously it's like yeah one of the first that people see um i've only seen three of his movies parasite the host and this Mm. and i love this one the most even though i consider parasite to be the best hands down i think that's 
probably the best movie to come out of cinema in the last 15 years of the movies I've seen. So, but I love this the most because it really scratches the itch of everything that I look for. One of my favorite movies of all time is Sunshine, another Chris Evans movie, but it's um, Danny Boyle and it's a, a movie about a group of scientists who are set to this or set on a course to the sun with a like satellite carrying a bomb to restart the sun because it's dying. So it's kind of a last ditch effort sort of sci-fi thriller that doesn't devolve into like people killing each other necessarily. Like we often see in dystopian sci-fi movies. This kind of does that, but it it, it has a lot more to say than that. I would say. Well, it's also the setting kind of demands that that be the case for, right. You know, like there's no way to move through these tight environments, you know, with like resistance without murder unfortunately and, um, and something else i'll say about the movie is the graphic novel which i've read the first book of because it's the one that basically covers the the loose storyline of this movie it's pretty close roughly even though it's 30 years removed from the i think the uh la transpersonage is uh, early 82 yeah 82 early 80s so and Bong Joon-ho was introduced to it in the mid-2000s. So even then, it was 20 years removed, and it's also a French graphic novel. This is a South Korean director, and this is a South Korean director's take on Western civilization. So it's very interesting commentary to be had. I Okay, when I say this is my least favorite, that's not even me bagging on the movie. Like I said, I liked it a lot better. Bong Joon-ho only puts out bangers. (laughs) Right. Every movie I've seen from him has been great there are a couple that i think are not quite as great and this is one of those um the other one is okja which i do like a little bit better than this just because of its weirdness (laughs) um but um this one to me i still think it's a very well-made film um and i i love his sensibilities in it specifically i think that's what lifted it up a little bit more for me this time what were those kind of very non-American filmmaking ideas in the presentation and the approach. So are you are you saying that American sensibilities is a negative for this movie? No, no, no. I'm not saying that's a negative. I just, okay, I guess we've seen so many of these types of stories told, you know, um, from Western perspectives. And this is still uh, centralized around Western characters for the most part. You know, it's a very diverse group of characters in here but um i just i like getting a different flavor from the filmmaker coming in with a different sensibility in terms of how he approaches filmmaking because different countries and different filmmakers approach storytelling differently you know i just like the different flavor that this has than other contemporary american films that are in a similar vein Sure, but I would consider this to be one of the few global movies to gross true. above like fifty million dollars because that's true. It too. was filmed in Czechoslovakia or uh, Czechia, I think it was Czech Republic at the time. But um, it's almost entirely produced by South Korean companies. Yes, there are mostly Western actors. There are a few South Korean actors, including the one from uh, the father from Parasite. There is. Uh, it was only distributed by an American company. And it has three American actors, but yeah, 
Well, yeah, there's it's definitely a global film. Like it's hard to place it as like belonging to a single country for sure. South Korean director. I'd say South Korean made is a fair thing because production and direction. Absolutely, absolutely. It's just you have somebody like Chris Evans at the lead. He is the face of this movie, you know. And you have people like Tilda Swinton, Ed Ed Harris. Um, you have why did I forget his name from John Hurt? John Hurt, yeah, John Hurt, um, who's obviously not American, but you know, still a Western actor, you know. And those are and Jamie Bell. Those are all very prominent actors in the film. Those are kind of a lot of your main characters. You do get um, Kang Ho or Song Kang Ho, who is a frequent collaborator with Bong Joon Ho. And obviously he was in Parasite as the father. He's just so good at everything, honestly. Um, and then you yeah. have his daughter. He's really good in the host as well. Yes, and the host as well. Um, then you have Go A Sung, who's also worked with Bong Joon-ho in the host once again mm -hmm. um, as his daughter. Um, so you even have Allison Pill, who is Kim from Scott right. Pilgrim vs. the World. Which I love it when Alison Pill doesn't show up in a lot of things. I don't know what her reasoning for that is at this point in time. But, you know, she was in a lot of things in the, you know, the 2000s to the early 2010s. And then just kind of, she just kind of, I don't know, maybe she had some life stuff. I didn't look into it. But yep, it happens. I've always enjoyed Alison Pill, though. So <laughs> happy to see her here in like a smaller role. But you have, you have Romanian and also Bosnian actors as... Franco the Elder and Franco the Younger, respectively, which I understand why they don't talk now, because uh, it's possible that Bong Joon-ho, of course, uh, doesn't speak Romanian or Bosnian, so probably doesn't <laughs> want to <laughs> translate that for them. But right. it, it's just kind of funny to me. It, the setting shows multiple nationalities, and also the, the running joke is any time that um, Mason... Tilda Swinton's character speaks there needs to be multiple languages like Spanish and French immediately just right. like an airport setting just immediately followed by another language I just love that right yeah the multiculturalism in this movie I think is one of the more unique aspects of it especially given they play the on contained it well. setting yeah with the, how contained everything is in this movie mm -hmm. which um getting more into just like now we're diving a little bit deeper into the film, faster general thoughts at sure. this point. But yeah, the train setting, I think, is so well realized in this. And that really is the highlight. For me, I still don't know how I feel about the whole concept, honestly. Like, I've never quite fully bought into it. I think the setup is a little weak for me here. Like, it's like, okay, global warming stuff. There is some sort of... um gas element that they used to try to cw counter yeah the to counteract that which ended up freezing the whole world over and this one guy happened to be building a giant train to go around the world that then kind of served as a little bit of a noah's ark situation for the rest of humanity whoever could get on which is obviously not a lot it's just still one train you know <laughs> right um so i i don't the concept alone might work for me better in a graphic novel than it does in a film. And I don't think it like sets it, it kind of just speeds through the setup of like the, you know, exposition there, which I guess is good. You know, I don't want it to be weighed down by the exposition, but it does leave me like being like, I don't know. I don't know how much I buy this concept just period. 
which yeah. just holds me back a little bit from it. But the actual train setting is so well realized, you know, within this context um, from the people at the back of the train. And as you see them moving their way forward through the train, it's very cool. I'll say this. The first the first half of the movie, when they're just trying to escape the tail end of the train and they make it to the water processing plant yeah, or water processing portion of the train. Um, is amazing. It's it's stellar stuff, and it it does kind of like go to a weird side in the second half. That's what gets me. The plot kind of breaks apart in the second half, but man, the actual escape portion is what does it for me. See, I actually kind of feel the opposite. Really? <laughs> like, okay, I love once it actually gets to the scene where he grabs the gun and he puts it up to his head and a great like, they have scene. no bullets so good scene. and that whole sequence is amazing where they're like take the whole things and they're like pushing it through all of the doors so that they can wedge the doors open um that whole scene is incredible um because it just kind of i just want to highlight to chris evans i don't think i've ever liked chris evans more as a leading character in a film before um, yeah. I think he's actually giving a really strong performance here. It's got that kind of Captain America kind of mode, but way more serious. And because um, he can go goofy and charming, you know, I would say Captain America only because he's the leader. And right. Chris Evans probably lends himself as an actor to being very good at a leading role, not not just a leading role, but a role that leads. Right. Um but, but Captain America will still throw a joke out here and there. This character is dead serious. <laughs> well, he's been through a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, not to get too far ahead, but he, he ate a baby. The, the first 17 years on, <laughs> yeah, the first 17 years on Earth, uh, he was he was probably hilarious. But uh, the next 17 years, not so much. <laughs> no, no, not so much at all. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, because he carries a lot of guilt, but then he also carries a lot of responsibility. I'll say um, this. My biggest problem with the plot in and of itself is a big contingency on the plot is the protein bricks eventually become known to two people as being made out of crickets and like insects. Oh, that was cockroaches. Just insects. What roaches? Uh, well, whatever. either way, I don't have a weak stomach for things, but that is one scene that I remembered from this movie from the first time that I was like, I don't even want to look at that again. And then watching it this time, I was like, <laughs> all over again. My my that. thing is, <laughs> if the man surviving for a couple, at least a few months, starving and eating children, he's not gonna give a shit about about cockroaches, especially if he's been living in this world for seventeen years and has been desensitized to like illness and cockroaches and that kind of thing. And I finally figured out and learned why I know that I'm just weirded out by him being weirded out by that is because originally in the graphic novel, the first class, which is at the top front of the train would eat like rabbits, rats, but also like the higher ups of the higher ups would eat like fruits and meats and that kind of thing. Things that everyone thought were extinct the people in second class would eat an artificial meat. And then the third class would eat literal shit from the second class. So, yeah. and that was what was originally in the tub before they edited out with CGI. Oh, yeah. So, it does look very CG when they look through that thing. Yep. 
it would make a lot more sense, but also I doubt that would have made it through American distribution. <laughs> so yeah, that's probably why yeah, it got that's, cut. I mean, that's or pretty, dropped in a draft or something. That's like pretty that. disgusting. So yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The one thing I just I never understand about the train is they kind of get to the middle section once they get past the water train, you know? Right. And they're like, look at all of these beds, you know? They kind of have one line that just says, oh, look at all these beds. And then it's like, okay, does everybody else live in the middle of the train then and kind of go to their different sections? Because they go through every compartment. And I'm like, I don't know where these people are sleeping. Yeah, we don't really you know? know because we're shown like the... We're shown, we're shown the classroom. We're shown like the sauna we're shown the um, place where people work like a dentist and something like that. We're shown one person like cutting an apple or something in like what appears to be a private residence, but it's all just kind of thrown. We, we see, we see a slaughterhouse or rather like a chicken poultry slaughterhouse, but we're not actually shown where the chickens are farmed. So right. what I would assume is they skip over it. So it's possible right. that they just skip over it. Yeah, I, I assume it's that middle section, but that just, I don't know. Like, I feel like if there's different classes within the train, which I do get that feeling about that. I think there Except are, yeah. In this, I get more like there's the back half of the train and then there's everybody else. You know, it doesn't feel like there's like a middle class. I think it's more it. so, yeah. I think the middle class would essentially be the people who are charged with defending against the people at the tail section. So the yeah, people... like the soldiers. Like the soldiers or the violinist who comes up to the to the front and then back to the classroom that's who i would consider probably the second class but also we see like the people at the very front are people that just party all the time which i think is just commentary on western civilization especially like roman civilization where everyone at the top top percent of people in the world were just hedonists yeah it's this movie part of my the issue which is why i don't quite love it is it is very heavy-handed and i also don't think it's really covering any new ground in any of these you know in what it's presenting sure uh, i i think it's well presented and i think the setting creates a lot of intrigue but i don't really think that it's doing anything that kind of makes it stand out thematically from similar films but I, I do kind of think that I, I like the ending scenario once he does get to the front, which we'll get to that. But yeah, uh, I will say that I it's it's that middle section where they get past the water plant. Uh, this is plot wise, not like commentary or like acting or anything wise. It's plot wise where it where they depart from the water plant and then go all the way. And then once they hit the front, then it picks back up for me. Right. It just it just feels like a mon a literal montage to get up to the front. Whereas the first 30 minutes or the first hour rather of the movie was character driven and then the next hour is mostly just f moving forward literally. Right. It has a, there's a lot of fascination with the actual constructs of the cars and like yes how they're ordered and everything which is part of why i was like you're spending a lot of time showing me the different cars but i still don't quite understand how this works how the society is able to function i don't even know where they really sleep you know um because the one room that had other beds in it that you had one like i said throwaway line about it i was like 
Right, but these are just kind of cots again, and I still don't. I'm, and nobody's there right now. You know? <laughs> so. Yeah, I would say that's that's a flaw as well because uh, Franco the Elder, who is the crazy guy who, after uh, Franco the Younger dies, he's just chasing chasing them like a, a like a typical slasher monster. But so, like, it takes him like three cars to get to them in some instances. But also, they're going through like the double helix where Chris Evans and Franco the Elder are shooting at each other, yeah. and those look like dozens of cars away. Right. Not only that, but it's probably like half a mile away. So I think the editing kind of lent, yeah, I think the editing kind of lends it to that. Um, it'd be it'd be me like writing for the movie if I were to say that. Of course, there's beds, but I think it's just it's just trying to hit the things that it needs to hit, and not showing us what it doesn't want us to see because it'd be wasting time especially given the way that the product the production was made yeah which i can get i can talk about eventually yeah yeah i guess you know you are getting the stuff that you need to get for the themes i guess if i found the themes specifically more compelling then maybe I would give it more of a pass but i was more interested in the world than the themes here so yeah. maybe i would have liked more spent on the world itself because that was the unique aspect here for me i'll tell you this it, and i kind of agree typically in movies like this i'll go based off the writing and all that tales including world building um and typically that's true but i think i think the characters do enough for me that i kind of overlook it i can bring up the fact that in the entire time that they are like doing the the push to the front which is probably a few days they pass by so many milestones they pass by like new years and then immediately afterwards it's the revolt of the seven where they left and that kind of thing but it's also the plane that namgung minsu wanted to see so that way he could justify that the ice right. is melting or the snow is melting rather and that kind of thing. And there's just so many like points along the entire year's worth of train track that they see in the span of a few days. It's just yeah. that's that's where it loses me or the yeah. fact that during the main fight and the uh, in the tunnel, it goes right beforehand. It goes through several like it runs into ice. So they're all bracing for impact and it happens like four times and then it never happens again through the entirety of the movie. So it, it pierces snow only four times in the span of five minutes. So that kind of thing gets me. Right, and it almost gets derailed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how how long is this train actually going to run for? Yeah. <laughs> the, the few times it actually hits snow in it, this movie, it almost entire, goes off the tracks. Entire carts come off the tracks and then come back <laughs> right. on. Yep. I, I'm like, this thing is not a very good solution for this world situation at all. <laughs> so... Well, I don't think it needs but, to be. I think I suspect because of the, the video that they go over, which, of course, could have been propaganda that could have been absolutely filmed after the uh, after the events took place right. to get Wilford into a gigantic train that is unstoppable. Nuclear powered, I guess, would be how it would be powered. Um, but the what they're thinking was he was always going to do something like this. He just so happened to have the means at the time when a cataclysmic right. uh, ice age happened. 
it was a coincidental arc. It wasn't an intentional arc. Which is probably more likely to have have happened with, you know, like preppers and everything like that. Right. Which kind of goes into his whole God complex, though, too, you know. Yeah. Like, I'm sure that feeds into that. Um, I think that the, um, yeah, the Ed Harris character, I really like the approach. And I like that you don't see him until you do. You know? I, I've always loved that. It's like Jaws for me. You don't actually see the monster until things need to kick off. I, yeah. I've always loved, and it's the same thing with like Marlon Brando in an Apocalypse Now. He's only in about eight minutes of the movie, and yet he does a stellar performance. If you can get stellar performances out of eight minutes of the movie, then just let directors and writers like yeah. use utilize their actors and then either kill them off or only show them when they need them. Don't yeah. don't just have those actors throughout just because they're top build actors. I've never understood that. That right. doesn't help that's, writing. That's that's the kind of sensibility thing that is very not American studio system kind yep. of sensibility. Like you get the whole Tilda Swinton character who's very important and key early on in the movie in the first half of it, really. She's basically um, the second in command of the train, right. I guess. She comes down and she makes her statements and speeches, puts them in their place, you know, and then goes back to her nice life. <laughs> yep. I love her shoe speech when she comes down and she's like, um, a shoe you wouldn't wear a shoe as a hat you know? <laughs> the guy's arm is outside the train just freezing yep <laughs> and because they take the children and so it just it, yeah all these things just kind of line up for the when they do you know the assault because they have their daily rations that they bring out but yeah she comes out and I, yeah that whole shoe speech is great tilda swinton's great apparently this role was originally written for john c Riley. that's what i read too and they <laughs> yeah. kept in some of the things like when the officer soldier guy hands the uh shoe to tilda swinton he goes here you are sir as like a they, right. they kept they kept the mannerisms as if it were as if it were meant for a man right. or John C. Riley in that instance. Right. They didn't change the dialogue around it. Exactly. The time. They kind of left it in, which I, I yeah, I like that. <laughs> I kind of want both versions now. I want both the Tilda Swinton and John C. Riley version of this movie where John C. Riley is saying, I am the, I am, I belong at the head. You, be, or I belong on the head. You belong on the on It the is foot. a different tone coming from John C. Riley. <laughs> but I'd, I, I'd I don't still think it would it. work for this movie, but I, I'd want it so much. <laughs> I want to see it for sure. Yeah. But Tilda Swinton really owns every scene that she's in. Mm -hmm. She, I mean, she's always good. She just is. But, um, and she frequently plays these oddballs and stuff. And this, she has like false teeth, uh, which... At one point, Which she, she does pulls out, out for some yeah. reason. I guess she's trying to seem more meek than she actually is, but yeah, but yeah, she has to have these false teeth, and she speaks in a very particular way. Yep, uh, and yeah, I, she's just perfect in the kind of role. And then eventually, they kind of um, they capture her when they're going through, and because okay, so you get before they capture her, so you get that whole assault on the water section basically yeah to because they realize once they claim the water they kind of have control of the ship because everybody needs water obviously yep so um the that whole assault is then there's a whole ton of guards which this is one of the more unique scenes that can only be facilitated by a movie like this in the setting that it's in because it. it's just wall to wall like guards with axes when they walk through that door. 
which the daughter of the I forgot the character's name. Um Goong Minsu. Yeah. When she for some reason she can always tell what's on the other side of the door. I don't fully understand that, but I'm like, okay, whatever. It's so I kind one of, of those I kind of do. <laughs> she's she's only lived on this train for her entire life. She would right. have absolutely tuned out the sound of the train and the sound of the wind outside. So mm-hmm. she has kind of animalistic hearing when it comes to what's beyond the door. It's not mm. that she can sense exactly what's beyond the door or she has like, I mean, the the tail section's got to smell like crap always. So if your only environment is that thing, you probably have your senses attuned to other things. So she can probably smell what's beyond the door. And if it's like a hundred men, I can smell that. (laughs) Yeah. Bathrooms are another thing that I have a big question about with this. (laughs) I would have liked to have seen a bathroom in this movie. (laughs) Just, just understand what's happening. What are you talking about? They, they stick their extremities out. You know where that guy sticks his arm out into the uh, cold. They stick their extremities out into the cold and then just, you know, you know, just cut their butts off. Yeah, exactly. Because it's frozen now. Frostbite <laughs> butt is uh, <laughs> is a, a badge of honor that everyone in the front Absolutely. section has. It's like when they cut off their arms. Oh, a missed opportunity to say frostbite. Ah, uh, oh, frostbite. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that whole scene is crazy. Um, because there's one part of my brain that's like okay this is a little bit too frantic and it's editing but on the other hand i'm like i don't know how you shoot this you know <laughs> like yeah. with that many people and i think that it works because there it's just so crowded <laughs> and these you have these two bodies of people just like going at each other you know with the tail enders and now these guards with tilda swinton standing behind them trying to like command things something i like that they don't show in other movies is when sword fights occur or this in this case they're going with hatchets and axes when pipes or whatever pipes or yeah akin to like or something like that yeah when when fights like that occur they typically only last one to three moves Right before a blow is struck, so I like that they're moving on very quickly. It's very Lord of the Rings. Sword sword fights don't last very long. There, it it lasts for about five seconds, and then one of the two people in the fight are dead. So right. that's typically how it goes. So yeah, yeah, because once you get stabbed, like your body just like seizes up. Yeah, <laughs> so you're not gonna be like able to just like keep going after stab after stab. Adrenaline only gets you so far if you right. Yeah, yeah, your nervous system will focus its energy now on the wound. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, no, that's yeah. The all of the violence is very quick, very brutal, mm-hmm. and um, you do get the death of the edgar jamie bell character edgar who is named after edgar wright oh interesting yeah that's why gilliam was named after terry gilliam ah okay yeah because yeah gilliam's like the tail end like their kind of leader and chris evans is really close with gilliam and is the one communicating and facilitating these plans Mm mm-hmm um and gilliam's kind of pushing him to be a leadership role which gets explained more towards the end like his exact motivations there um which you can take or leave depending on your perspective i i would say i would say it's absolutely true except for the fact that uh gilliam 
kind of lets him be free and lets him keep going, which is what Wilford doesn't want. So I would say that they probably were akin to partners because there needs to be a mutual agreement of what happens in the tail section and in the front section. Um, Right. But then Gilliam just kind of gets fed up. So, yeah. But yeah, then you have Edgar who's kind of, um, dang it. What's Chris Evans character's name? Curtis. Curtis. So Edgar is kind of Curtis's like right hand guy and he like worships Curtis and Curtis is very specific about like, do not put me on that pedestal. I don't deserve to be there. And you don't really know why. You just know he's carrying some sort of guilt. You don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, he says Edgar, uh, Gilliam says Edgar is very fond of you. And he says, well, if you knew who I was, he wouldn't be something right. like that. So, right. And rarely in a movie is it, do you feel like by the time it gets to that point when the person has all this shame that like it necessarily is warranted like i understand the shame yeah typically typically in a movie when he's talking to gilliam about that in the first five minutes curtis would be like well if he knew that i killed his mother and tried to eat him as a baby then yeah (laughs) right they would absolutely do that and it's like okay why bring that up now or not even that it would be like later on it would be some other shame that he's holding that's like he just needs to let go of you know kind of or edgar would be on his deathbed and he would be telling him by the way i killed your mom kind of thing right like Uh, maybe killing his mom but almost eating him is exactly their level like oh man no that is i yeah you would be (laughs) feeling that kind of shame and you would not want this person to idolize you i almost ate you yeah (laughs) you know so yeah um i did what i had to do you probably shouldn't Yeah, but in that scene, it ends pretty much when they do get the upper hand and he has an opportunity to capture Tilda Swinton or save Edgar. And he goes after Tilda Swinton knowing that Edgar is going to die in that situation. Um, cause, and it makes sense, too, for the trajectory of the film because he does choose the greater good in that situation for what they needed to happen um, over the life of an individual. Yeah. So... um yeah, but yeah, that's where Edgar dies, and then also you get to move on. Now, that's kind of the second half of the movie, is once they've captured Tilda Swinton and um, Chris Evans and... Um, Can I make the point that you said greater good when involving a character named good. after Edgar Wright? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm so... Every time I hear somebody else say the term greater good, I always repeat it. The greater good. <laughs> the greater good. <laughs> um yeah so this point you get the second half of the movie where curtis and octavia spencer's character and a few others yeah tanya and a a few others keep going she goes with because her son was taken earlier yes and the other guy who's the whose arm was frozen off he goes with because his son was taken yeah and then you have the other guy who gets to throw knives and is cool (laughs) i don't know his name either but yeah he goes with uh gray yeah, he goes with he's because he's a good fighter. Uh, so those it's played it, by Luke Pascolino, which yeah. is a fun name to say, if nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, it's pars down like the amount of people on screen at that point, which is good, I think. Um, Keeps it more contained. You yeah, you couldn't keep ah, having it be every train. Pun. <laughs> and um, so at this point, though, you get that one. What's the guy in the suit's name? Oh, Franco the Elder? The Franco guy tracking the them Elder. down? Yeah. yeah, that guy is crazy. 
<laughs> he's just like he doesn't look that intimidating but when he's actually like fighting and stuff he's just so cold-hearted even to his like own guys anybody sees him do something that ah, is that's just people wrong, from romania just <laughs> method but, actor as they as yeah. it were <laughs> but for, first you get is it the you get the um the fish car which is neat like that's just a really oh cool the aquarium visual. car yeah yeah that's just a really cool visual. And then the guy's serving up sushi, you know? And I actually, the sushi scene is really important to the themes of the film, specifically towards because the Because Mason of it. makes, or Mason is being made to eat the cockroach protein bar as well. Well, that, and also she talks about the um, sushi and how it's only made a couple of times a year, you know, because you have to wait for the stuff to replenish. Not because they have enough, but because, yeah, it's a very yeah. refined ecosystem that if if one thing is depleted, then everything will falter. Kind of Right, thing, yeah. which reflects you know, the train exactly as a whole. the mentality of the train as a whole. So that's like a nice little encapsulation of that earlier in the film before they actually tell you what's going on. And uh, then you get the school house scene with Allison Pill as the teacher. <laughs> she plays and, an insane character. <laughs> and, yeah, the song um what happens if the engine dies we or all whatever freeze and die. Freeze and die. <laughs> that song that she sings is so funny. That's where it gets into like the kind of satirical elements that I I do really enjoy here too. They can't feed the tail section with actual food but they can give her an organ. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah <laughs> yeah and she's pregnant which isn't like a significant detail necessarily but it's an interesting one to me where um like there is still procreation and stuff happening because that has in the front section but in the front section though typically, which i think is like, alluded to i'm jumping ahead but the fact that fine. the fact that uh is, is it yuna yuna the daughter of uh minsu yeah so she knew exactly where one of the uh, where timmy was so my thought about that was because she was born on the train specifically to a front section family was she also right. like in that scenario uh, maybe because when you when the children grow out of it i assume then again it is a nuclear reactor it's possible that they die from having worked in that space but I assume when they grow out of it, they just kind of get reintegrated back and with the train society. But I don't know because she right. knew exactly it's... where where to go. Right. So... But none of the kids because the, the back end provides a certain flow of children to be workers to keep the train mm -hmm. operating in a manual by manual labor rather than, you know, using technology that can falter. Maybe just um, because she was from the front section and maybe because she was the daughter of the engineer specifically right. that she would know kind of what's happening at the at the engine i guess i think that's more so it but i don't know this because, is just me speculating like, because there's I nobody don't, who's I don't know. like none of the kids grew up and then got returned back to the tail section because otherwise they would Correct. know what's happening with the kids so either they kill the kids or the kids just die naturally doing what you know working on that stuff right or because i don't think they'd integrate them into the front section people and their society you know? essentially entails a caste system akin to india where the untouchables at the bottom the um specific artisans are literally untouchable 
where they are not to like be interacted with. It's kind of like that where, and no one can move from one cast to the next. So you're born into it and you stay there. So I assume it's something like this where even if you are a violinist who is brought up to the front section to be a servant, you are still a tail sectioner or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, then, so yeah, get the classroom scene where everything just kind of goes crazy again because they bring out all I love Curtis's face every (laughs) single, every single time, every single time he's shot in that, in that room, it's like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, there's some sort of familiarity to it, I'm sure, for him because he did grow up in the real world. And then also seeing just how distorted everything has become in this new context. Yeah. You know, it would be highly disturbing, I imagine. But also that scene is just, uh, it's uh, Bong Joon-ho, his entire perspective on western civilization specifically right, right. Uh, the american school system right absolutely and th- that's where like those kind of dark satirical elements kind of show their head yeah in the film here and there and that scene i think is the prime example of that um but then the, yeah they bring out all the eggs and chris evans has been getting these little clues throughout the movie like given to him in these little he got nom the first time uh water the second time and in an accidental when he went up to the protein block manufacturing plant and then uh this time he's given blood yeah and then once the the egg people go through and keep going through the egg man i believe is what he's credited with yes yes he's called the egg man yeah or egghead egghead yeah egghead um because he goes out and he's like giving eggs to all of the you know back end people who are just waiting for the rest of them to like take over the train. And um, then he's like, and you know what else? You know, they're like, I thought chickens were extinct. He's like, there's a lot of things that people thought were extinct. Yeah, and then he like pulls extinct. out a gun and just starts gunning him down. <laughs> yeah. And then guns start pu- getting pulled out in the classroom. Allison pill character pulls out a gun, <laughs> starts shooting. She gets a knife to the throat and dies. Yep um yeah it's just like that's a crazy scene and this kind of kicks off the rest of the movie because then you get i'm just gonna call him gray suit guy because i keep forgetting his name franco the um franco the elder gray suit guy works i mean i'm not going to confuse anything else with it i love i love how after the second half how diverse all of these settings are within the train um you know despite the singular location of everything it has a very diverse look to it as they go through different train cars yeah like the pool car where for some reason there are pools like inches above the rails (laughs) (laughs) right? (laughs) and and specifically the the kind of the sauna room oh yeah um you just have a bunch of people just a bunch of saunas and franco is there and that's kind of where you get the main confrontation with the franco character before that you get the scene where they're shooting at each other across the windows which is a scene that conceptually I like, but an execution I don't love it because a lot yeah. of it is just like the them like a shot of Chris Evans pointing a gun at, out the window, yep. and then a shot of Franco pointing a gun at the window and then just shooting at each yep. other. I could tell you, I could tell you exactly how that would go in real life. One person would shoot out the window, and another person would be like, "Are you crazy? That's our only ammo." <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Yeah. And the way it's edited, too, I don't really love, you know, like it's just 
I, it's not a very dynamic action scene, despite the fact that I think it's a really interesting setup for an action scene. So that was probably just limitations of what they were able it's to an do. Is, and it's an interesting idea waiting for the helix of the train to then shoot a, a person on the other side right. of the train um, in execution. That uh, wow, wow, is that stupid? <laughs> That's something that feels very graphic novel like, yeah. you know, and it doesn't quite translate to live action. I don't think so. I think it, yeah. if it were part of the graphic novel, so in the graphic novel, the the closest that they get is the main character right before the engine shoots out the windows of the engine. We don't exactly know why, but um, leading to a couple of characters dying. So mm. I think it's just an homage to shooting out the windows of the train, but in a kind of believable way. Interesting. Shooting at somebody else across the train. But yeah, it's yeah. kind of a weird thing to do. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 I wish that, like, it's a really cool idea. I, I wish that it looked, I, I wish that the visuals of it matched how cool I think the idea is for the concept here. I'm okay with it taking a more graphic novel kind of approach to it, but yeah. the filmmaking doesn't quite match that. So, um, but you get like a much better action sequence, I think, in that sauna room where um, you understand that they're like hiding in different like compartments and he's just kind of shooting at the door. He even kills just like a random other passenger. He, he kills a front ender and then one of the soldiers is like, you just killed a front ender. And then he shoots that guy and the other guy's like the other guy who he tries to shoot the other guy. And after the click, he goes, I didn't see a thing. <laughs> right. So I didn't see a thing. Yeah. Just moves on. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, it does. It turns out that you know they were hiding in different compartments, and there's a pretty good action scene there where, you, but pretty much all the characters die except for Curtis and yeah. um, Yona and Minsu. Yeah, I keep forgetting I'm the going. characters' names in this one, but you got me there. <laughs> Even yeah. if you call them by their actors' names, I would I would understand. Yeah, the the song I've seen this movie Tango several character. times, so I I know the <laughs> yeah. ins and outs. So it's basically just the three of them at, after that point, because Tilda Swinton's character got executed by Curtis in the classroom scene. Yep. And very cathartic. Um, it's like yes. it's like Harry Potter killing Dolores Umbridge in the fifth movie. <laughs> and man, that would have been so much fun. I hated yeah. that character with a passion. Yeah, she's definitely that. Kind That's how of good the acting so. is. If I if I hate you more than your actor. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. Yeah, so, and at that point, then it's just them kind of working their way to the front of the train. They go through, like, the dance party car. Yeah, the the hedonism car. car. (laughs) (laughs) Right. The first time I watched this, I missed the scene because it's so quick where they're like, oh, look at all the beds, you know? And I was thinking, like, where are the beds? Do the children have to walk through the erotic dance club <laughs> to get to the classroom they have every to go day. through the sauna the pool room was, they have to well go yeah through. i'm like how many cars do they have to walk through to get to the classroom why wouldn't the classroom be right next to the living arrangement i was just like, i don't know what's what the arrangement of these things are maybe it is but the movie doesn't really establish that so yeah <laughs> but yeah, and then it's just, yeah, getting to the front, and then there's a debate between opening the door because then he reveals... Um, there's another Mitsu. door. Yeah, that reveals that there's another door that will he can blast open to go to the outside, the cradle stuff that was like the drug that he was getting as payment for opening the doors um, is actually an Oh, explosive. he brings it up. Um, Curtis specifically brings it up during his story between Edgar and uh, Gilliam, but when Gilliam sacrifices his arm to satisfy the hunger of others. And then everyone starts doing that. And then a few months later is when 
uh, Wilford's men come in with sustenance. The protein that's, blocks, yeah. Yeah, that's the... And specifically, well, they get water too. Um, yeah. That's the the circumstantial proof to me that Wilford and Gilliam absolutely had a partnership because it's only right. after Gilliam becomes a pseudo messiah for them is when uh, Wilford right. comes in because he's satiated the hungers of the, of the people rioting and uh, cannibalizing each other. So that's what right. I suspect. It's not proof by any means, but it's just another like reason why I think that's possible. Yeah, no, for sure. I I feel like it's true right at the end of it. Otherwise, it doesn't feel like it means anything. Yeah. You know? Um, but that's a it's a great monologue that Chris Evans delivers. You know, when he's talking about his past and that whole situation with Gillian. It's probably the of, best acting that Chris Evans has ever done. But then again, I haven't seen yeah, all of Chris Evans. Movies. Honestly, like I I mean I've seen a number of his films and. I mean, this is one of his more serious roles, and yeah. he really does a good job. Like I said, still playing kind of in that Captain America ballpark, but with a much more serious, much more gravitas to the character. Well, this was and, in, this was in between appearances of Captain America, so right, it was so much so that they had to cover up his arms because they wanted him to appear skinnier, and they did that with camera work as well. Right, yeah, because you can't have jacked Captain America be the guy that lives in the back end of this thing. Yeah. I didn't see a gym car. <laughs> <laughs> they skipped over it. The children had to walk through that to get to class. Oh, oh, okay, of course, of course. They would put in some. They would put in some reps in between in between periods of class. Yeah, and so that's and then that's when the the door finally opens when cuz Minsu and Curtis are kind of at ahead about what needs to happen right now. Yeah. And Curtis is like we have to just take over the train so we can change things and Minsu's like we got to just leave because Yeah, we I can think... just leave because the cold is getting less and less cold. Yeah. So that's the, it's melting out there so it's probably not deadly to the extent that it was before. Yeah. So we can make a life for ourselves again. Um and then the door opens and there's Ed Harris and Ed Harris feels like the most obvious casting choice ever for this, but it works. Yep. <laughs> like the man behind the curtain. Let's get Ed Harris to be that. Okay, cool. Makes sense. <laughs> um, so you buy it pretty quickly, I think, just for that association, like that Truman Show kind of character that he plays sometimes. Yeah, he's pulling the strings of everything. Yeah. Um, the behind the scenes guy, even in like Apollo 13, you know, he's kind of. Oh, the yeah. He's, the he's mission control. Yeah. That's that's his kind of role a lot of the times. Um, so it, it works here, though, again, um, just kind of once again, you have to quickly establish this character and what he's like. And just having Ed Harris do his thing, I think, works for that. Um, and then he presents the whole moral con quandary of the movie where, yeah, the whole revolt situation that happens every few years is kind of an organized thing to happen to reduce the population so that they can keep this ecosystem so every few years he and so that gilliam, gilliam doesn't, yeah so that gilliam doesn't yeah. have to keep lopping off body parts to chris evans right just, <laughs> every few years yeah right right that way they keep an ecosystem because they need the people in the back to supply them with children so they need that to be populous just enough. like the people in the back need the people from the front to supply them with water and food. 
Right. So that's just kind of the capitalism. <laughs> right. It's the whole capitalism metaphor. That's where it's it's so heavy handed that like I'm like, OK, <laughs> um, I've seen this before and I get it, you know, but I do think that it's one of the well, this has happened before in in like the Stanford prison cell. Right. Like experiment. This has happened it's before a, in lesser, yeah. smaller sample size situations. Yeah, it's a it's once again, I think it's the premise as a whole that I still don't quite fully buy into <laughs> the world that exists. But um, it's still a well done version of this kind of parabolic tale. I suspect um, it's more because it's more believable in the in the graphic novel, because that's CW7 was to block out the sun specifically for war reasons mm. to get to get a leg up on on one's enemy. So it's I more see. believable for that than yeah. for a few countries distributing it throughout the world kind of thing. Cause that, that would take a lot. That would take a right. lot of international foreign policy to have happen. But it feels like a war situation would be the most logical outcome for like the world ending in this way than just like trying to find a solution. Hell the matrix does it that, that exact way more. Right. I mean, that's, that's typically how it is. This one being a, you know, a global warming counter oh that was specifically initiative. that was specifically bong jun ho bong jun ho wanted because the urgency of climate change at the time that's why right he, it, it came out in 2013 but it was set in 2014 that cw7 yeah. was distributed that's yeah i never i never have any problem with somebody using global warming as their premise for a film go for it you know that's a pressing issue i understand it but yeah and this i just don't know if i quite buy into it but that's kind of besides the point um <laughs> uh yeah because i think that this is one of the most compelling like join me kind of speeches that a villain gives oh, yeah. to your protagonist um because i'm like there's a a big part of me that's like yeah i would absolutely buy it if this guy based on his actions you know as a character because he does exist in this moral gray area um the way that he left edgar earlier in the movie for the greater good of everybody you know i could see this movie having an ending where he does replace ed harris's character and take over as the conductor for the train you know not but only I that also but understand yeah but wilford yeah. as a character like giving that speech he absolutely believes in the things that he's saying he's not just right. a, he's not just a sadist who keeps the train or the the tail end of the train under like subjugation specifically for that he believes that it's it's useful for getting the parts necessary in order to power the engine to keep it going and he doesn't right. know that the cold is getting less and less cold each year so all he knows is we got to keep going right and i also understand though the ultimate conclusion that that he doesn't go that way. He doesn't take right. over the train because the Ed Harris character, like he said, has never been to the back of the train. And even Gilliam, I think, let things go further than they normally would have let them go because Gilliam's been living in the back and he understands those conditions. And the and Wilford does not understand how bad that those conditions are. And so the the disparity and the depravity of you know the front end and the back end you know as much as you're trying to keep an ecosystem it cannot maintain that way with people existing in those conditions for that long so i understand why the ultimate conclusion would not be to join him even though i do think he gives compelling reason for it um, a small nitpick i want to point out of what yeah. people say about this movie is it's a nitpick that wilford says you're the first person to walk from tail to front of the train 
when that's not true about Claude, the assistant who goes to the tail end of the train to pick up Timmy and I think it's Andrew, Andy. Um, and then not only that, but Timmy and Andy came from the tail end of the train and are now working for the engine. So <laughs> that's true. It was yeah. very clearly <laughs> clunky dialogue, if you want to call it. Sure. It's it's more so just a saying because of the fact that that's the first revolutionary to make it to the front without just being walked there with guards, essentially. Right, without permission, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. He's he's walking to the to the train. He's not being led there. No. So it's it's more of a metaphor type of thing. Is it a yeah. nitpick? Yes, but I don't think it I don't think it's that big of a deal. People found it way bigger of a deal than they should have. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a nitpick for sure. Um, yeah, and then so the the end result is that the door does get blasted open after like a bunch of frontenders come and like attack, <laughs> and um, Song Kang Ho's character is like fighting him off on this little bridge above these weird gear things. You yep, know? <laughs> and it's I mean it's a cool visual. Um, and then you got the Goe Sung character, um, and they get the thing lit and it explodes and the door blasts off and um, it seems that Curtis and um, the Song Hen Ko character, um, they surround themselves around Timmy and Yona, and um, there's an explosion. And then the, the train next, derails after the train. Yeah, the train derails after an avalanche hits it after the explosion. Yeah, it's like, and those two characters probably died, but then Yona and Timmy get like leave the train and and like start walking on the snow, and they see a polar bear, and the movie ends. Yep, <laughs> and I don't. I wish that it was 10 minutes longer where you see the polar bear just eat the two of them and then humanity's done. <laughs> it's like, I was like, they're going to die. <laughs> they're in the mountains. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a, like, and these are children. It was specifically know? shot in the Alps as a man who's been to the Alps, you know, without like a whole climate change event. It's cold. It's cold as hell. <laughs> they're screwed. Right. <laughs> right. I was like, I was like, they couldn't have like dropped them. Like they, the movie couldn't have like ended have close to... <laughs> Close to like a city, you know, even if it's a frozen over wasteland of a city, at least then they'd have like they'd have the infrastructure from like 18 years. They'd have cans. They'd have. Yeah. They'd have, they'd have buildings to hide in, you know. Yeah. They'd have potential. Even if it was trees, even if it was like a forest that they were by, maybe I can buy that to some extent. But they're like on top of a mountain and it's, it's completely frozen. I'm like, nah, they're not making it. <laughs> Humanity there's is no dead. sequel. There's no sequel to this. No. <laughs> you know? um, so, yeah, like I, yeah, the ending kind of rubs me like, well, that was pointless <laughs> a little bit, only because I was like, there's no way they can survive this, and I don't feel any hope yeah. from a polar bear. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean that kind of covers the extent of the film. But <laughs> what's funny is. I will I will now bring up the reason why it's all shot and cut in this way is the distribution company specifically for the Americas was the Weinstein company Weinstein company. yeah. And Harvey Weinstein wanted 25 minutes cut of the movie, including the fish gutting scene during yeah. the during the uh, bridge scene or the yeah, during the bridge scene. And um, he wanted a voiceover for 
voiceover narration for both the intro and outro of the movie. Yeah. My question is, and after they had cut the 25 minutes, put the intro and outro voiceover, they screened it to people and it got low scores. Then they screened the director's cut to it and it got high scores. So, and he yeah, still wanted that's... all of it cut. Yeah. I mean, Weinstein is a scumbag as, yeah, he's a obviously known scumbag, convicted scumbag, um, convicted scumbag, rotting in prison scumbag. Um, Harvey Weinstein was known, not able to then. dispute us scumbag. <laughs> yeah. Um, even back then he was known as Harvey Scissorhands for the way he would interfere with yeah. productions and cut up things. Um, I don't know how much of that made it in through the final product. The final product I, is Bong Joon-ho in a 2014 interview said, I'm glad that the director's cut made it to the theaters. Right. Essentially okay. paraphrase. But the, the, the cut that we saw was the director's cut. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's good. That's what I figured, honestly. Yeah. Um, because yeah, it doesn't have any of those things that you said. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I know that there's a thing that I read um, where apparently the fish cutting scene that Weinstein wanted to cut, Bong Joon Ho told him that his father was a fisherman, and I want to keep it in for a as a tribute yeah, and then to him. Later, and he yeah, was like, then later in an interview, he was like, "Yeah, that was a complete lie." Not only that, he <laughs> just... he said, "quote That was a complete fucking lie. My dad was not a fisherman." <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, good for him. Honestly, just like keep your integrity. You know, do whatever. If you Bong Joon Ho can get a win and Harvey Weinstein can get a loss, then that's a good day. Hey, absolutely. That's a good I'm day all for that. One hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I don't fully understand the fish gutting scene. It seems I don't know if they're just like trying to make the axes slicker. The rumor I couldn't find any any facts on this, but I kind of get it. The rumor is that it's based on The Godfather. You know, okay. sleeping with the fishes. Uh, he's he's sent like the fish like a Sicilian an intimidation. Yeah, a Sicilian intimidation tactic. Okay. I can see that. That makes Either sense. that yeah. or I've seen some people think that the fish blood was poison, which you've already got an axe, my dude. <laughs> yeah, I you don't, don't know how much. You, yeah, you don't need to <laughs> you don't need to do that. Poison typically takes a little bit of time. <laughs> yeah, I see it more as the intimidation thing. Intimidation, yeah. Thing. Yeah, that makes more sense to me. Um, I think it's a cool thing. You know, I'm like, oh, that's kind of messed up. <laughs> you know, why are they cutting fish in front of them? <laughs> but yeah, um, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about with the movie as a whole? Or do you want to move into scoring? No, not really. Because we're right, already an hour in. in. Yeah, we'll go into scoring then. Um, so as usual, our scoring system works um, where we rate things zero, one, or two. Zero being not good, one being good, and two being great. It's pretty vague. It's pretty broad. Um, we like it that way because we're just trying to start a conversation. We're not trying to make the end-all, be-all review score for this. But that's just the show's review. It doesn't reflect necessarily even our individual opinions about what a movie is. But that, yeah. To put it clumsily. <laughs> now that was good. Um, all right. Well, and as usual, the first category is writing. I'll let you start with this one if you want. Um, to me, writing is a one. Um, I think that it manages a lot of 
interesting stuff. There's some really good lines in here. I like when Gilliam, towards the beginning, when he's telling him that I can't be the leader, he's like, I'm I'm just a shadow of my former shadow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, stuff like that. There's like that monologue. There's a few different writing monologues, like the Tilda Swinton Shoe one, the Chris Evan ones later in the movie. I think that stuff like that is really good. I don't know conceptually, like I've talked about, if everything quite gels for me in the thematic areas of the writing though. Like I think that the themes of it are a little too broad and a little bit too ham fisted for me um, in the overall, which is why I wouldn't get a bit of two, but I still think it's solid. I think when it comes to the main theme, what I think of the main theme, especially for the first half of the movie and kind of reinforced in the second half of the movie, do you know the quote, Hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. Mm, I'm not familiar with this. So it's it's mostly just cut so that the first sentence, hard times create strong men, is kind of a look at, in real life, look at war. War creates war heroes, and necessarily after war, there are leaders that were war heroes, that kind of thing. Right. So it's more so a, philo- a philosophical thing, but it is from a, I believe, a fictional book by uh, G. Michael Hopp. But I think the important thing to look at that at is it is a fallacy. It's a survivorship bias, which we've talked about before. Right. So hard times creating strong men is not really true. What I would amend that to be is hard times leave strong men left because the weak men were killed off. That's what I would consider it. So something like this where the tail section only has people who are willing to fight and only has people who can make it to the front is because all the weak people didn't make it through. And the same thing is with the front section. The reason why the tail section can absolutely overthrow the front section is because the front section has people who are not prepared for war. Right. So that's a that's a theme that I really love that is kind of discussed in this but not explicitly discussed. That's something yeah. that I that I like to see in movies is something that makes you think and creates creates an open-ended discussion where it's almost more fun to talk about the movie than to actually watch the movie itself. That's my favorite kind of movie. So yeah. I will agree that some of the plot points are lacking, but I can't take into account that there is a lot of the dialogue that I love in this movie as well as I love the themes in this movie. Not only the contemporary... Um, commentary from Bong Joon-ho on systems and classes and that kind of thing that I think should be talked about for real life. But I think it, I think it has something to say and I think it says it pretty well. So I would well, honestly if, give it a two. All right. I'm, I'll go with you to a two. Yeah. Usually, usually I'm the one who's arguing for the higher score. So <laughs> I'll go to, I'll go with you to the two. And, and yeah, and I, I, I get what you're saying and I, I like your thoughts there. Yeah. <laughs> so I like what you got to say. <laughs> I think, I think the themes um, overshadow the plot in a way that I kind of like for a movie like this. Yeah. Is what yeah. I'll say. Especially something that is as appealing as it is in its con in its construction, you know? Right. Um, Okay, next section is world building. Um, I think the uniqueness of it and the realization of the setting is what gets this to a positive for me. I do have all of those qualms that I brought up, though, in its presentation of the world that I can't get it to a two personally. I feel pretty strongly about a one. 
I kind of agree. I I don't really have any problems with the world building. I suspect it's because of the themes, like I said before, because the themes wrap around the world building quite a bit. But right. And when it comes to the production sets and everything like that, I like them a lot. I kind of don't like a few of them. And like I said, the back half of the movie where it's mostly the front section doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I get that, including but not limited to the aquarium scene. Imagine real quick when they're going through the bridge fight and it hits one of the ice walls. What happens to the fish in that aquarium? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> not only that what, what are the hedonists up to because they're going to get the brunt of that impact are they right are they kind of screwed there or because they're on chronol so much that they they don't even care they don't even notice <laughs> they, yeah just i would have loved out. a a shot of like a slow motion shot of all the uh the people partying in the tail section or in the front section just like as they're falling back down to the floor of the train yeah. <laughs> after the impact. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I can't help but notice that there's a few problems with the world building when it comes to the plot and everything like that. But the themes still work for me. I think a positive is fair. I think a one is good. Yeah. All right. Um, characters. Um, characters. I I personally am at a one with characters here. Um, because like you said, every the writing and everything, and it really serves the themes more than anything. I think that Curtis is a great um character for Chris Evans um to to have in his you know repertoire, I guess. Yeah. Um, and not only that, but it came from a South Korean director. Right. Crazy to me. Right. Yeah, I think that, and I think that there's a couple of other standout characters, like the Tilda Swinton character. Um, I think Ed Harris, Wilford and, is is yeah, an Wilford interesting and character to say the least. Yeah, the Wilford and Gilliam character, even Claude. Are interesting. The the assistant is so weird. Yeah, but then you get the guy with like knives. Who his whole character is that he can fight and he's got knives, and he's he's <laughs> mute. So when he's got somebody in a stranglehold. He, he has a tattoo of surrender and then a tattoo of die. And then they're like, I guess we'll surrender. And then Mason's like, nope, don't surrender. And then he's like, oh, but he killed me. And then so Gray kills him. Yeah. He's the muscle. Yeah, yeah. You get, I mean. So is Franco just, the Elder, though. I guess I think that the, the, the movie serves its thematic material more than it serves its characters, ultimately. Um, maybe you could sway me to a two on it. Um, I don't think I could because originally when I saw this movie in the theaters, I didn't really think much of the characters. I didn't really. Right. I was uh, the spectacle was more fun than than the plot or the characters at the time. I think I think the characters are well characterized. Yeah. But I don't necessarily think that their characters are all that deeper fleshed out. And the action is character driven, which I love to see. But it's mostly character driven for two or three characters. Uh, Yeah. No, sorry. Uh, Minsu and Curtis is who, what I yeah. would consider there. Yeah, there's some good key characters that get good fleshing out, but overall, like I said, it's just it's not as much. It's a good. I'll go with yeah, the one. Yeah, I would that. say it's good. Yeah, one. All right. Directing this one, I'm um, not like going to budge on. You're you're like a solid. Two I'm a, on this I'm one. a solid two. I know it's probably one of his weaker ones, but um, Bong Joon Ho has only put out well directed movies yes. at the very least. Um, yeah, I'll, you know what I wrote down. He's one of the best in the game. 
I wrote down on my thing because I did it where I laid it out beforehand, directing one or two. So because I wrote it that way, we'll go to because <laughs> I'm kind of torn. I think that there are some really great sequences and scenes that are really beautifully directed inside the confines of this setting and premise. You know, I think that I give an extra bonus to yeah, those he, type he, of things. He intentionally made his setting claustrophobic and yeah. and limited his ability on purpose because he liked the story so much. Yeah. Okay. I'll go. I, I'm with you with the two, honestly. Yeah. I think I, when all is said and done, Bong Joon-ho is like the, the only director that I trust with movies now. So, <laughs> so yeah. Like right now, he's like your guy. Honestly, yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, let's see. Next category is acting. Um, acting, I feel like it's a strong one. Um, I don't think anybody's like, I, like I said, I think that this might be my favorite Chris Evans performance and he does a great job carrying the film and the other actors I think are all, what you're telling me it's better than fantastic four silver surfer. Oh no, no. I, sorry. forgot about that one. <laughs> Actually. How dare you unseat that throne? <laughs> he combines all the powers. <laughs> the end. Well, he is in the movie called the Iceman and, uh, playing it cool. Spoilers for Sunshine, but he does freeze to death. He does in freeze sunshine. to death in Sunshine. <laughs> he's he's cast type in a way. <laughs> he freezes in Captain. He America. freezes in Captain America. I didn't even think about that until just now. Yeah, he gets frozen a lot. Yep. So, oh, he's so cool as Lucas Lee in Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh, absolutely, yep. and it's in the snow. Oh my God, it is. <laughs> Um, but to me acting it's a really strong one I'm not going to try to push it to a two necessarily I don't think it's there in terms of its acting but I think for like the genre material that they're working with it's all good performances and I think he does a really good job leading it that's where I'm at do you want to try to sway me to a two I kind of agree but then I'm going to bring in the fact that they're all multilingual people so not uh, not only did the actor who played Minsu had to come in and he had broken English. So, but also um, Bong Joon-ho only knows so much English and had to work with both British actors and American actors for the first time. Right. And it's, it's primarily English language. And it's primarily English language. Yeah. I, once Not again, only that, but he, but he worked with, he worked with people in the, in the region. So the Bosnian and Romanian actors, as I said, but and all the extras I imagine were from the uh from the region of Czechia. So Yeah. I this is where we find the nuance between good and great. Yeah. You know. And I, I'm still thinking that like all of the performances here are good. I just I don't know if it's elevated by like the performance factor here that's really taking it to the next level. I think that they do add to it though. Like it's definitely part of the enjoyment there is in these performances. But yeah, I'm not trying to like be like anybody here deserves to be nominated for anything, you know. No, and we've given we've given great acting for uh, things that wouldn't even make it close to an Academy Award nomination before. So that's true. That's true. Um. Yeah. Okay. Where Where are you at? Are you at one or two? We can circle back to it because okay, we'll, we'll come back to acting because I'm still at a two, but that could change. You could. I, I'm fully willing to be swayed in certain areas. So, um, 
I don't really have anything negative to say about the acting. So you could convince me that it's great because of that too. <laughs> uh, but let's see. Visuals is the next category. Um, visuals is another one that I'm kind of in between a one and a two on. Really? I think that, yeah, I think that the train cars itself are, you know, no, I'm a two. <laughs> I was about to, I was about to say, because this, even the CGI in the background, which hasn't aged all that well, but I think it's no. still better than $40 million budget movies of the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, cause I, the diversity of the images, I love that the, the contrast between all of the very warm lighting inside the cars too, versus the cold tail section of the outside, obvious. And also the tail section versus the front section. Right, they intentionally gave it like a bunch of like warm lighting. The lighting cues really add to the visual language. Oh, this is the point where I bring up in, um, I think it's Baron Dove Studio, is where they built a scale replica, a not scale replica, but just a literal a replica of the train that is a hundred meters long. So interesting, really cool, isn't it? <laughs> that is cool. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm like a, I'm still a I wish, soft. Oh, I wish they had kept it as like a museum. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That would have been so cool. I'm I'm still a soft two on it just because I do think some of the visual elements, like of the CGI elements, don't really necessarily hold up, but none of it's really detracting either, honestly. Like it works. It's played for background. Story-wise. Right. They're not like relying on it too heavily. No. Which is why I kind of give it a little bit more of a pass. Um, and also I think the, the tunnel sequence is well shot and just... Uh, the the thing I will say, this is the negative that I that I thought of when watching this movie a few times is the shaky cam in the first action sequences are rough. It's kind of that yes. it's kind of that shaky sequence where it just goes left and right to and fro. Um, yeah, it's that kind of thing I don't like. But I really love the the it's it's almost like it man or old boy, the way that it shot kind of the action like homages right. to that and i believe the director of old boy is a friend of bong joon ho i can't remember his I name off the top it. of my head but uh i can't either but i like his films so i haven't seen oh, old boy actually but i've seen sympathy yeah park chan wook i have seen sympathy for mr vengeance which is the first one he there. was a producer uh, for this movie so it makes sense yeah no i like park chan wook's films yep. and i definitely see some of that flavor in those scenes um but yeah, that goes more into editing, I think. Um, but yeah, I'm with you on vid two for video. Oh, that's fair. So yeah. we can move to editing, which is the next category. If if we're if we're putting the blame of the uh the shaky cam and all that kind of thing and the weird editing choices on and also as you said before, the the double helix gunfight. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's I think I just think, a one is yeah. warranted for that then. Yeah, I think editing's a one for me yeah. here. Um, the sound design, on the other hand, is really great, um, specifically with the way that it keeps the train kind of chugging along. The train noise is always in, is, is always, always there. Always in there. It's kind of like what we talked about with Tokyo Godfathers, mm -hmm. how like, the sound of the city is just always present, and that's a big part of the movie. Kind of the same thing here. Imagine the job of the sound mixer with a movie like this, where you have to constantly yeah. take into account action sequences with dialogue, with just background noise from other characters and then you have to take into account also a train that's insane <laughs> yeah <laughs> but also i like the score in uh, this yeah once again it's, marco it's actually marco beltrami yeah. who we've talked about now three times <laughs> so because he also did the hurt locker and um 
What was the other one that he did that we talked about? Blade Two. Oh, that's right. He so, did the Blade. So, so action. I talked about Blade Two. Action is his orientation for. <laughs> he does do a lot of action films, um, and like I said, then he works with James Mangold a lot. Um, I like. He kind of has this kind of quality to his like scores all the time that I really like. Works with the train though. It does. It works really well with the train. Like I said before, Marco Beltrami, he's not one of these like A-list composers that you like would know his name necessarily. Um, but he does. Sometimes that's a positive. Right. He does do consistently solid work. Like he, he's had a few Academy Award nominations and I think that he's a very strong composer and I, I like it. I like his compositions yep. so this is a good one for him it works well for the setting um yeah so sound is a two though let's see our, our genre category is our next category we went with dystopian sci-fi so think of your terry gilliam's 12 monkeys brazil think of the matrix think of the fifth element kind of even though Heck, that's i've even been playing <laughs> I've even been playing Final Fantasy VII Remake oh, lately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, same thing. It's the haves and the have-nots. you got people living in slums and people living in towers up above. So, like, it's a very common um, thing that you see Ready Player One, I would consider a dystopian Ready sci-fi. Player One? Yeah. 100%. It's a, it's a commonly done thing. Yep. Um, for me, within its genre, it's a one. Um, because... I like I said, I really just don't think it's breaking any new ground. It's doing interesting stuff in its very contained version of this type of story. But I give that credit more to the setting itself. Um, I think that the actual thematic material for me isn't elevating, you know, the you know, the basic premise. I could tell you the basic premise and you're gonna understand the thematic elements of this movie pretty well honestly because it's it's just not breaking any new ground here and it doesn't leave me thinking a lot um personally like comparatively to other similar type films like even like a 12 monkeys like you said i think i that movie leaves my brain with more to chew on than this one i think if this exact same movie but um more to the age of the time a few years after the graphic novel came out i think this would easily be a two because in the mid '80s, this would be an insane discussion to be had. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think in I think in mid 2010s, it's there's been so many influences before it. Um, yeah, I don't. Th- yeah, I don't think it's breaking new ground. It's piercing snow, sure, but it's not breaking new ground. Um, that isn't the themes of the storytelling, but yeah. I, I agree. When it comes to the when it comes to the actual like dystopian or sci-fi nature of the movie, it's been done before. It's still in the top half for me of the dystopian sci-fi movies I've seen. But yeah, a one. A one is fine. Yeah, okay. Um impact. Um impact on this one. It's going um, to be a little bit more peripheral. However, last week we did take into account just the just the American side of this, which I do have yeah. an argument for as well. I still think on the American side of it, it is a one. For one, it was the b- movie that got Bong Joon-ho 
in with Hollywood, you know, <laughs> like in the Hollywood sphere at that point got him that Parasite kind of Parasite wouldn't be near as big if this movie didn't come out before it. Right. And he also got, then he was able to make Okja, you know, um, which was on distributed by Netflix and had a, once again, it, that's also a very um, global cast kind of situation. And um, also there was a, a TV show that they made on this that went on network television True. Um, very meddling. that ran for a few seasons. Yeah. <laughs> very, I didn't hear great meddling. things about it, but it did get that, like that show wouldn't exist if this, they didn't feel like this movie had some sort of popularity behind it. And it did get two or three seasons. True. So I think it's, I think it's got like a third or fourth season coming up or something like that, but I only watched the first season, so I couldn't tell you much about that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, yeah. I'm actually curious. Is it still running? I think so. It ran... Oh, it ended in 2023. Yeah, it, it had oh, three nope. seasons. Got a fourth season. Four seasons. It's it's there. Oh, it does? It does have a fourth season. It's, it's It hasn't it, come out yet, but it's, it's slated on IMDb, which typically means that it's been renewed, but it's still in production, probably. Yeah. Well, either way, it's on TNT. It, we'll see if that happens or not. It might be one of those things that, like, if they were going to make it, maybe the strikes kind of derailed it. No pun intended. <laughs> but that's to say that's fair but this is a far cry from like 2007 which i think was the last writer's strike which led to a bunch of tv shows going getting canceled or being remarkably worse looking at you heroes um <laughs> yeah no, because of sure. the writer's strike when when companies now can take their time or they don't want yeah. to of course but they can also, the streaming era is a different animal. They're not making things like the things that are being made um, are being made well in advance and it takes a lot longer to do so. And they're producing so much more content that they had more padding. And they're throwing away so many things after like one or two seasons that it's just it's right. tough to keep up. Right. That's a whole other conversation. But yep. <laughs> the streaming stuff is it's a nightmare world. <laughs> but, um, impact for me is it's a one here. I think I think that it manages that. Yeah, I think if we were to take into account the entire. So a South Korean film made and doing so well in South Korea has like this has never been done. So this broke new ground in South Korea and in China. But. I wouldn't say that in a, from an American point of view, it didn't really do that much until a few years later. So I think a one is fair because of that. Yeah. Yeah. It still had impact here, though. If you bring up Snowpiercer, people generally have at least heard of it. So not only that, it made twice or it, uh, it doubled its money based on video on demand just from the few months right. and a year after it came out. And I saw it in theaters and it only... It had a very limited scope because of Weinstein. It only opened right. in 300 theaters and its max theater run was 356, which is low. Yeah, that, that wasn't big. Technically, when Netflix put out Glass Onion, it hit like 600-something screens. It was only out for one week, but <laughs> they still put it on more screens than this guy. Yeah, so. and I did look it up. Uh, Box Office Mojo, it made four point something billion uh, on billion? three. Sorry, million on 350. <laughs> Man, that's the highest grossing movie ever no, made it's in like, 300 theaters. <laughs> that's crazy no but uh, uh four point something million on 356 theaters at the max i calculated that to be twelve thousand and change per per theater so yeah that's not yeah. bad 
Yeah, no, not, it's not bad based on the number of theaters that it was in. Yeah. It just, yeah, it just didn't get the distribution that it kind of deserved. If it was marketed well and if it had made more theaters, thank you, Weinstein, for that, I assume it would have made more money. So, yeah, all right. We have, all right, do you want to circle back to acting now? Yeah. All right. I'm still out of one with it, a strong one. You're out of two, is what I understand. Yep. I'm still out of two because of the fact that it's, it's multicultural and multinational. So which and that's tough it's, on its yeah. own, but it's also it's also brand new people coming together and and making this, which is kind of insane to me. Yeah, I guess how much extra credit do you give a movie for that? You know, well, I was already at a a strong one with the acting from the main characters of Mason Curtis. Um, Edgar does pretty well, even though it's a, it's a small character for only half the movie, and yeah. uh, Nim Sue. Or Minsu, sorry. All right, all right. As well you as Wilford. Me. I'll go to a two. Which puts this total at a 15 out of 20. Yes, yes it does. Which matches our original... Batman Begins, um, one right? for Batman Begins, yep. Same as Are, the, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret as well. Yep, yep. So this is, this is a solid one. Um, like I said, this might be the lowest rating I give a bunch of no movies still on my own page. I had a range of 12 to 14. So, um, your love for this movie bumped it up to just one above my Let max. Let me see what I so. had because I also did it, but it was more of like a, 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 a two minute thing. I had 17 out of 20. Yeah. Kind of met yeah, in the middle so there. Yeah, so that makes sense. Kind of met in the middle there. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's. That's a general discussion for us on Snowpiercer, um, 15 out of 20. It's really solid. Um, if you've it's seen not for everyone. Parasite. Uh, yeah. No, it's yeah. It's, it's it's rated R. It's bloody. There's some disturbing content in there. Um, but it's if you like. Not just that, but people are people are probably not going to like the uh, the content that's there, regardless of the, the action and that kind of thing. So. Oh, the political kind of ideas and stuff, too. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> um, but also the philosophical nature. People people don't often go to the theaters to uh, think about things. They some people yeah. go to escape, which I do from time to time. But if a if a movie can help me think about something, then I consider that a success. So, yeah. Yeah, and this isn't a site. Yeah, this as much as I was like the themes aren't as strong as like the best of the genre to me. They're still well done. Um, and in a sci-fi film, that a well done sci-fi film is still going to leave you thinking about things. That's why something like Gareth Edwards, the creator from just a couple months ago, like kind of fell flat for me because it didn't leave anything to really think about in that movie you know i'm gonna also so, point to uh looper i have some huge problems with that movie but it i left the theater thinking like i still think about like, yeah some of the themes of that movie i love looper but i i get that you know it's it's another one it's not quite for everybody and there are some weird holes in it just because it's time travel stuff so <laughs> um but yeah uh yeah that's yeah that's our general thoughts here on snowpiercer but that does it for this discussion this week. What's up next? Next week. All right. I'm just going to let people in. Kyle, you told me that I pick too many movies that I like. Yes. Yes, you do. So I said, you know what? I'm going to pick a movie that I don't like. 
for this next one and i'm gonna make it a christmas movie once again <laughs> and it's honestly this is a pretty popular christmas movie it's well loved there's a tv series now out <laughs> and that's had a couple of seasons and it has multiple sequels and we're gonna be talking a Medea about tv show <laughs> oh, no. we're gonna be talking about the tim allen film the santa claus the original the original and i haven't seen that movie in a while yeah it, i don't like it <laughs> so, um if if anybody out there well most people like this movie i think so i'm still in contrarian opinion here in the overall um but uh yeah if i i covered what i think is a really great christmas movie with tokyo godfathers which i hadn't seen beforehand but now i'm really glad i did versus one that now i'm forcing myself to i think re-watch. it was safe to say from what i remember of the santa claus um i think it's safe to say it was going to be better that what was going to be better tokyo godfathers oh yeah i mean yeah i'm just santa claus is one of those that i might end up watching in a given year anyway i'm surprised you didn't go all in and go with the santa claus 3 the escape clause oh no i i i couldn't do that to myself (laughs) i'll yeah I, i really couldn't i like i hate that movie like i don't like the first santa claus but it's ultimately fine that movie I hate. So, <laughs> and I will not make myself rewatch that. So, All right, next year. Next, I can't hey, wait. If you pick that, I won't rewatch it, and I'll just talk about how much I remembered hating it from 15 years ago. Very good. I'll go over it for about an hour and 30 and why why I think it's an amazing. Maybe maybe April an 1st. Underrated. April 1st, we could talk about, we could talk about the Santa Claus 3. Yeah, and I love Martin Short, but that just wasn't it. (laughs) All right, well, that'll do it for this week on Great American Movie Review. Be sure to join us next week for The Santa Claus, if you feel like it. Um, But also, if you prefer us in audio formats, we're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And we also put out new release reviews. And yeah, that'll do it for this week on Great American Movie Review. We'll see you at the movies.